welcome to series two of the Confidence Fighter for Girls. My name's Myrtle and in this series we're going to be discussing difference, confidence, women in tech and much more. Stay tuned and hope you enjoy. Hello and today I'm delighted to welcome Helen Mitchell as my special guest on the Confidence Fighter. Helen, can you tell me a bit about yourself and your story? Hi Myrtle and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. My story is in some ways a little unusual. In my early life I was really defined by three core interests, three three different subjects that really captivated me and and you know when I think back I was pretty much born with a paintbrush in my hand. So from the earliest uh, memories that I have um, and from the earliest of ages, maybe two or three, I can remember and I have pictures that my parents took of me painting. And so for as long as I can remember, I have wanted to be an artist. The second defining interest in my early years was um, when I got to about your age, Murti, I started to become very curious about the stock market. Um, I remember um, my father was in the days where you could own a part of a company by buying shares for a penny. So shares in a company you could buy for one pence each. And he and I used to talk about this over the supper table in the evenings when he got back from work, about which companies we thought were good companies to invest in. And I remember when I was about 14, that a boy came back to school who'd left school at at 16. He was a little bit older and he'd come back to see his old school and he had joined the city, become a broker. And he was feted when he got, he was treated like a hero at the school. And I remember seeing this boy and thinking, I wonder what it is that he does. Why is he so happy and so enthusiastic about the job that he's doing? And it, it, created a big curiosity for me about that world, the world of the city, the financial markets. And, you know, it was a world that didn't seem open to me. No one ever spoke to me about going into the city, about working for a bank, about um, understanding how finance works. That curiosity bubbled away inside me, I think. And then at the same time, I also developed an enduring love affair really with the French language. I started going to France on French exchanges and I fell in love with what to me is a very poetic language. So I started to really enjoy um, learning languages. So fast forward a little bit and I ended up doing two degrees in fine art uh, my first degree was at Oxford University at the Ruskin School of Art. And my second degree, my master's was at the Slade, you know, which is home to many Turner Prize winners and is, is particularly well known for painting and sculpture. And uh, in between those two degrees, I worked for a picture library. I wanted to find the most creative job that I could. And uh, I wrote to lots of companies uh, near where I lived in South London And I ended up working for a photographer who took lots of pictures 
of environmental destruction around the world. And he created a library of his pictures and then he sold those pictures to magazines and newspapers. So if a newspaper was running an article about deforestation in Brazil, they would phone up the picture library and I would speak to the journalist or the editor and, and they would say, I need an image to support this article of trees being cut down, for instance, or women's health care initiatives or, um, you know, polluted water. Or it was they were very, very much around sustainability and environmental damage. I then, um, you know, as an artist, one defines one's success, really, if one becomes represented by a gallery so that your work gets chosen by a gallery to be sold to the public. And at the end of my second degree, I was very fortunate to be picked up and selected by a private gallery in Chilton Street in uh, central London. And I had, uh, I'd had many exhibitions of my work throughout my studies. This is in the early 1990s. But it culminated in being picked up by this gallery in Chilton Street in, in uh, central London. And I was selected to show my work uh, in an exhibition with two other female artists. And that was a really exciting time for me because it was like recognition that the, my work was uh, good enough to be gallery grade. But it was also really exciting to be shown alongside other female artists. And then um, I didn't really get along very well with my parents through my childhood. And, and so I was very um, keen to make sure that I could live my life quite independently of them from a very early age. And uh, so when I finished my degrees and I was thinking about what did I want to do? How do I become a full-time artist? Can I afford to make images? I thought, actually, what I would like to do is learn a little bit more about the business world and, I, and, I, and that love of the, that interest and that curiosity about the stock market. So I um, researched temping agencies. I remember it clearly. It was a Friday. Uh, one Friday, I went, I looked up different temping agencies that I knew um, placed people in banks. And I went and interviewed with them and I started working at a bank on the, the Monday straight after the weekend and I was there till 2012 so 22 years uh, that marked the start of this amazing journey for me um, in the world of finance having been an, a, a, you know focused on fine art and being an artist for the first 20 years of my life. What's the job on your bucket list that you'd really like to do? <laughs> well, that's such a good question. Um, I really, there are three jobs on my bucket list. Um, the first one is that might surprise you is I've always wanted to work for MI6, our international security services. So um, I would love to run a team of James Bonds to run spies. And uh, that's a, that's a, um, a dream of mine for many, many years, since I was quite young, in fact. My um, second job on my bucket list, which perhaps is a little bit more realistic now that uh, I've spent so long in corporate life, um, which is to help 
to really work as a head of diversity and inclusion strategy for a large organization. So we know that companies that don't have a diverse workforce, so particularly for if there aren't many women working in their, in their teams, that they are up to 20% less profitable than companies that, that have um, a more equal number of men and women in the workforce. So I'm, I'm really passionate about helping women in business to thrive, not just survive a career in the man's world. And so my second bucket list job is as head of diversity inclusion strategy, but from a commercial perspective. So with real P&L responsibility and to turn that into a business function, not just a nice to have. And lastly, and uh, you, you might remember I've said this before to you, but uh, I'll say it again, which is I'm a sort of frustrated interior designer, really. And I think this is the artist in me. I, I don't necessarily want to do that as a career, but I do love the idea of doing up houses. You know, for me, like a house is like a giant canvas and every room can be a different picture and you can create different environments with pictures and colors and objects and books and furniture and so on so uh, that's more as a creative outlet for me than a career but it's still there on my bucket list what advice would you give to a young girl wanting to pursue a career in tech so if we think about technology today you know uh, it spans all aspects of our lives doesn't it you know there's food tech there's uh, fintech and insurtech, which is for the finance world. There's edtech for education. There's green tech for energy and sustainability. There's biotech for the pharma industry. And there's, uh, you know, on, on and on. And so the advice I would give is to think about the areas that interest you. And it's not all, you know, a career in tech, look at me, is not all about coding. I can't code. You know, there are many different roles in the tech industry, depending on your interests. And I would also say, you know, internships are a fabulous and work placements and work shadowing are a wonderful way to get a sense of what a job is like in the tech industry. But there are also many clubs, coders clubs like Code for Girls run um, and meetups like Google meetups and so on that enable people with an interest in tech to learn, to share information, and just to, to to follow their curiosity. What advice would you give to your 13-year-old self? The first piece of advice I'd give myself is that it's okay not to have all the answers. You know, it's, uh, for me, something that I have learnt quite late in life, really, is that career, one's career is a lifelong journey. It's not a race, uh, building a career, and nor is it if you do something, then you get there. You know, if only I were a director, I'd have my career and everything would be great. Actually, your career is something that you build on throughout your whole working life. And I think if I talked about that and known that when I was 13, I think that would have really helped me feel that the choices I were making were part of a continuum and part of building up a series of foundational components 
that that over time add up to ex- my expertise and and building up skills through my career. And I think the last piece of advice I'd give my 13-year-old self is to work more on my kind voice. You know, I'm very hard on myself and I was particularly hard on myself in my teens. And it's so important to um, have self-compassion, isn't it? It's so important to recognise that we do the very best we can in life and that that's good enough and to not be so self-critical because that destroys one's confidence. Did you lack confidence as a teenager? Oh, yes, I did. Um, I, you know, I really struggled at home. I, I felt like I didn't really fit uh, in, in my family, if, I, if I'm honest. And I, I you know, I, I, I had a profound sense of not belonging um, at home. And so thankfully, I had my happy place, which was at school. But it did, it did mean that I wasn't very confident about myself. I felt profoundly lonely. I think that's often a symptom of lack of confidence, too. Um, I felt I was the only one feeling the way I did, which of course, I've, you know, as I've got older, I've learned that's not the case. Um, I struggled with my weight. You know, I, I tended to, when I was very anxious or felt very unconfident, I would eat too much. Um, and uh, I suppose all in all, I just didn't feel I belonged. You know, it took me a while to, to work out who I was and where I fitted in the world. What's in your toolkit when you feel low on confidence and what do you tell yourself? Oh, gosh, that is a good question. Um, so my confidence toolkit, I, the places I go to when I'm feeling low and the things that I do. So I, are, I, there are some podcasts that I absolutely love. There, there's, a, there's a wonderful podcast called Outside Voices, which incidentally is um, hosted by an anthropologist I get confidence from reading novels that, that for me, they, they're my source of creativity. Um, they fuel my creativity and they, they give me ideas that I can apply in the business world. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm really driven by the, the desire to, to, to create the conditions that enable social connectedness to thrive. So how as humans, we connect with each other around technologies, around business challenges, around um, products and services. And so when I'm really low on confidence, I also seek out the people that I trust and value uh, that are positive in my life and spend time with them. To finish on, can you give us a nugget of advice that you would think would help girls like me? Gosh, I think you never be afraid to plough your own furrow. As someone that came, you know, desperately wanted to be an artist from the age, a very young age, who then went into banking, who then set up their own company and who then moved into heavy manufacturing as a director of innovation. Um, I think, you know, what hopefully that tells you is that, um, 
there are roles and there's a pathway for everybody in the world of work. And that uh, if you know your own strengths and you own your strengths, you're proud of your strengths, then you can forge a path in your career that is meaningful to you and, and creates the success that you're looking for. I think the other piece of advice I'd say is that always help others less fortunate than yourself rise as you rise. So as you develop your career and you start thinking about what kind of work you want to do when you when you get older, think about how you can also build opportunities for those less fortunate. And and you know, as a creative it is so important to have some a creative activity in our week every week it's important for our brains it's important for our souls and for our well-being so i would also say i don't know if that's a nugget of wisdom but it's it's a piece of advice that i would give everybody that find the creative outlet that that makes you happy and make sure that you include it in your week whether that's cooking whether that's painting whether that's um designing clothes whether that's you know imagining interior design spaces whether it's architecture whatever it is whether it's making music you know whatever it is find find it and keep it make sure it is it's built into your week thank you so much for talking to me today it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for having me Myrtle Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Confidence Fighter and you're using Apple Podcasts, I would really appreciate a rating and review because this means other young girls can find this podcast more easily. Don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.